0: United.
1: Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Absolutely sensational. It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night.
2: Welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast with your hosts Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Thank you for joining us as always as we talk a 4-1 victory against Fulham. Preview the midweek fixture against Valencia in the UEFA Champions League between ourselves and by speaking to English Valencia fan Ruben Pinder. Of course, this weekend, United also travel to Anfield for Liverpool away. Since that's such a big game, we'll have a mini-episode after the Valencia game to preview that Liverpool fixture alone and discuss the Champions League game from midweek. On this episode, as always, we have our extensive Youth, Loan and Man United women's roundup. All of that in Series 4, Episode 16, so keep listening. Jack, some enjoyment in a Manchester United game—a a rare feeling, uh, a feeling we haven't had for for some time—and not even just some enjoyment, but 90 minutes of just kind of not panicking and, and no real fears that we were ever going to lose the game. Which is, I don't think we've had that in a game this season.
1: Not at all. I, it was the first game this season where I haven't felt apprehensive really at any point during the game. It all, everything, kind of uh, came together in that first half. It was by far our best performance going forward of, of the year. It reminded me a lot of some of the performances back from the start of last season where we just looked very, very dangerous pretty much any time we were coming forward. Uh we were moving the ball through midfield really well, the forwards were linking up well. The, the whole team just just seemed to, to gel together in a in a really positive way. And I was very concerned when I saw the lineup before the game. And I have to say that whether it was it was the lineup or the tactics or, or just the players you know performing better Whatever it was, it really did all come together against Fulham, and by far our most positive day of the season so far, I would say. Yeah,
2: only Fulham can't take too much from the the performance itself. To be yeah. honest, you can't really decide anything from the the performance. And
1: to be fair, against a team like Fulham, this this isn't really exceeding our expectations. They're just exceeding our expectations based on what what else we've seen this season. <laughs> we should be yeah, beating Fulham. a four-one
2: Fulham kind of should be. That this kind of result should be not I wouldn't say regular but it should be kind of happening three yeah. four times a season but the, the, I guess the performance doesn't show much but the result is is just it's nice it's kind of no one's really overreacted to it so a lot of the time when the Mourinho Van Almoys there's been a win like this and people have been like oh yeah this is this is it but I think it was just kind of like well yeah that that was a bit better some enjoyment some goals and and some very nice goals to be fair yeah, yeah they really uh, love, were a couple of lovely Really nicely worked goals. That was kind of like, hold on, this we, we can play some some especially, nice football.
1: Especially the uh, the goal from the corner as well. Like, I I loved that goal because it it showed that we actually do something in training for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally I I almost started to question whether we actually train. Um, and you could see that by Mourinho's reaction how happy he was that they'd actually put put that into practice yeah. in, in the game. That was a really, yeah. Really turning well around
2: to goal. high five McKenna and and Lurano and and Carrick and that. Um, Marcus Rashford is probably the one of the main talking points. Four assists and one goal in his last three games. I mean, he, he scored in against Fulham. He tried that powerful shot to the to the near post early on in the game, actually, and it, I think it was parried away for a corner. And then he kind of pulled it off with a little bit of fortune because of some some poor goalkeeping. Um, and got a, a well-deserved goal in a in a brilliant performance that will certainly be a confidence booster for him.
1: Absolutely, yeah, he needed that. I think Rashford, Rashford can be such a frustrating player at times because he gets into such brilliant areas and his movement is so, so, so good. And yet yeah, his end product just lets him down so often. So I think it was big for him to get a goal. And I just, that, that's really what I want to see from Rashford. I just want to see some, some improvement in his end product because... You often see him putting in performances where there's so much potential, and like I said, his movement is so often brilliant, and it just needs to be a little bit more coming at the end of it because it's hard. It's hard to be starting him every game over the likes of Martial, even though I'd say Rashford creates a lot more than Martial does, especially through his movement. But he just he just doesn't yeah. have the end product, and ultimately that's kind of what you have to go with. So hopefully, with these last couple of games, getting some really uh, some really good goal contributions and then getting a goal of his own, hopefully that can kind of kickstart. A better period for Rashford over Christmas.
2: To be honest, it was it was a performance from Rashford where you could tell that, like us, he grew up watching Ronaldo for United. I'm not I'm not saying it was a performance of equal standard to Cristiano Ronaldo, but the the type of performance it was, and I think this is it, it partly shows that Rashford is much better from the wide areas, because he got a couple of chances up front with, with Lukaku out injured or being dropped or whatever and Martial was played out wide and I actually think and I think I said at the time that I think Rashford is, is better out wide than he is up front and Martial can be yeah. just as good up front but watching Rashford against Fulham the goal firstly is typical Ronaldo cut inside and that kind of dipping laces knuckleball shot to the near post we've seen that we saw that from, from Ronaldo so many times particularly United Leicester Real Madrid where he played as kind of a centre forward and, and Juventus but also, we saw a great free kick from Rashford at one point, um, which tested the goalkeeper at least. Oh, I wouldn't say a great free kick, a good free kick that he kind of knuckled to the left of the wall, and, and the goalkeeper saved it fairly easily. And as he steps up, he does that breath in like Ronaldo, and then steps up and laces it. And it it was kind of it was really evident that this was a this is a United youth player who has learnt from Ronaldo a bit and watched Ronaldo a lot growing up. There were so many traits in his game that seemed similar similar to Ronaldo.
1: Yeah, especially on Saturday, the way he kind of, like you said, almost plays as a, as an inside left forward kind of at times. And it's exactly the same kind of style that Ronaldo was so great at when he was at United. It, it was a, a really, like you said, not not anywhere near the same level, but it was a similar performance in terms of what he was trying to do uh, and sort of coming in from that left flank and allowing Ashley Young as it was on, on on Saturday and Patrice Ever as it was in Ronaldo's time to kind of take up the space that they leave when they cut inside from the left. It was was a great performance by Rashford. I was really pleased to see him kind of he seemed to come out of his shell a little bit and you know he and I think it's probably partly down to the fact that the scoreline was so much better and allowed our players to play with a bit more freedom. But I think you're exactly right in terms of Rashford's effectiveness coming from the left rather than playing up front. I think the problem with Rashford playing up front is there's just not enough space for him. Rashford needs to operate in quite a bit of space both for his movement to be able to be effective because his runs in behind are so great so often. And when he gets the ball to his feet as well, I think it, it, he just needs a bit more space to run into. And I think generally in the wide areas, you are able to have that little bit more space. There's not always someone so tight to you. And it means that even if there is, even if a team is sitting really, really deep against us, you can still, it, you have a little bit more freedom to kind of find space within the pitch in front of the defence. Whereas if you're as, playing as a centre forward and you're dropping you know, 20, 30 yards to to pick up the ball, unless you have any runners beyond you, which we tend not to have at the moment, it's really, really hard to be dropping that deep all the time to try and pick up the ball. So I definitely think going forward, Rashford should be played uh, out wide. And like you said, if there comes a situation where Lukaku gets dropped or is injured, I think Rashford Rashford should play out on the left and Martial up front because Martial's greatest trait is that his end product is very good. He always puts up good numbers pretty much regardless of whether... He's in great form, or regardless of how you know how often he's actually creating chances, and that is much more effective when he's going through the middle. Yeah,
2: I think I think we said this towards the back end of last season. Actually, we were talking about Rashford and Marshall's future, and I think we both said I think Rashford's long term future is actually on the left flank. Even when he kind of broke through into the into the Van Aal team, he was a striker. It does seem like that is where he's going to get the space, as you say, to to show off his ability and to be more effective. And his end product isn't good enough to be Manchester United striker. And whatever you think about Mourinho giving chances to young players, obviously he hasn't actually had a a very good record doing that so far, unsurprisingly. But you can't afford, particularly in that striking position, you can kind of of justify it in the left and, and right wing positions a bit more. But your United striker needs to be ruthless, and Rashford isn't that. And so I think the focus shouldn't be why is Rashford not starting up front? Yeah. If he's starting on the left, that's fine. I think we could see Rashford develop into a great inside left forward, as you say, the kind of... I don't think there should be any controversy of him playing there. It's not like he has to be a striker. It's wherever Rashford is going to become the best player. Um, talking of, of Romelu Lukaku, back in the side, um, a, a goal, and big relief on both his face and all of his teammates' faces that clearly showed the, the support that he has from his teammates. It's not like one of... It's not like when... Uh, Radamel Falcao was having a, a bad time. At United, kind of, he'd score and it'd be a relief. But it, it it feels like the team is really behind Lukaku.
1: Yeah, it does. And to be fair to to all the fans at Old Trafford on Saturday, despite how badly Lukaku's played for the majority of this season, he got a great reception when he scored. There was you could te- you could sense the relief around the stadium. I mean, it'll be, it might have just been a little tapping, but it's all you need sometimes as as a striker. And throughout his career, Lukaku's goals have often come in bursts. It's always been you know, six goals in six games, and then maybe nothing for a few weeks. And he's now got two in his last two in the Premier League because he scored against Southampton as well. And you know, hopefully, looking forward, this might be the start of another sort of scoring burst for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of sceptical as to whether that will actually, actually well, happen, it, just because
2: it amazed me that that's his first goal at Old Trafford since March. I mean, I, I knew yeah, he was I in know, bad it's... form, but that is, that is something else.
1: Yeah, especially I high cut, I don't. I can't remember any top striker for a team for a, or striker for a top team going that kind of goal gel at home. Yeah. I mean, that is that is woeful. It's, really. it's quite impressive, um, to be honest. Yeah. And like, I knew I knew it was a long I knew it was a long time. I knew like I'd heard the the stats of the minutes, but I think hearing like nine hundred minutes as opposed to March, just <laughs> I mean, feel like March just contextualises it so much yeah. more. And when I heard that, I was like, Jesus Christ, has it really been well, that? Well, there was bad? there was an um, interesting
2: interview with him in midweek um I think well actually no I think it was after the Fulham game and he said it was with the from the official United website and he said that he knew he was too big at the start of the season in terms of literal size not fat muscle and that he he said he said I've put on muscle for the World Cup because that's where that kind of figure and that kind of style of play performs best on international football so he said he put on muscle for the World Cup because he thought the strength would help and and it clearly did he had a pretty good World Cup and then admitted he now has to lose it. And he said he also said he had a World Cup hangover much later than he expected it to come, because usually it kicks in yeah. straight up at the start of the season, maybe one or two games in. But actually, Lukaku started quite well. I think he scored four goals in the opening four or five games. Looks brilliant. And then suddenly just dropped off straight away. And he admitted he had the same thing after the 2014 World Cup. At it's kind of everything that we thought, but just from his mouth. So at least he recognises the problem in that it is trying to be rectified.
1: Yeah, and I've got to say, like, as much as we've criticised Lukaku, one thing I do admire about him is that he is very upfront about, you know, when he's in bad form and about coming out and being willing to criticise himself. And it's nice just as fans to be able to know that at least he's kind of recognising the same th- the same things that we're recognising and he's not trying to, you know, just kind of hide behind in the, in the shadows. And so I, I do admire that about him. I, like I said, I I am kind of sceptical as to whether this will carry on into one of these scoring bursts that we've seen throughout his career just because his general play still wasn't great and he still doesn't look... He's a massive confidence player. That's one thing we know about Lukaku. He's a massive confidence player and it doesn't seem like his confidence is is that high still on the pitch when I watch him but who knows? It, it Sometimes that, just a tap in like that is all it takes to, to get a striker rolling again.
2: Yeah, now Lukaku came back into the side uh, against Southampton. Paul Pogba was not back in the side against Fulham and... I think because of the result 4-1 against Fulham very comfortable very comfortable game no one really spoke about Pogba being dropped that much if it had been a, a slightly tight game and Pogba had, had to come on then it, it clearly would have been a big talking point but it's it's only the second time Paul Pogba has been a unused sub since coming back to United in in what was it August 2016 and to me it's 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 quite mind-boggling that people think United will be improved without Pogba <laughs> Who, who is widely regarded as a midfielder who is underperforming, that's a fact, but is still seen as as one of the best in the world. And United, Mourinho and the fans would be stupid to think that a future without him is better than one with it. it quite how Mourinho thinks dropping him is the solution, I, I don't really know. And if you think, you know, a bit of worked against Fulham, then, I mean, you've just got to, Look at how bad Fulham are. This is a team who have yeah. conceded forty league goals in sixteen games and a boss. we go all back
1: seven days and look at what it was like against Southampton. Exactly, it and does, like, it's not like every single game without Pogba has been great.
2: Yeah, and it's it just it it doesn't make sense to me because yes, the performance was better, but still there was very little creativity from midfield. You think about our yeah. goals, Ashley Young with. A great bit of play on the left-hand side. He had a very good game. So did Diego Dallo. Ashley Young made a, a goal by himself, pretty much with a brilliant finish. A nice move from a corner. Rashford making something out of nothing and a slight goalkeeping error. There was there was a, a big lack of creativity there, even in a four-one win. And last season we made fifteen chances per game with Pogba in the side and seven per game without him. He got sixteen goals or assists in twenty-six games. It's a pretty decent player who was basically playing defensive midfield for the most of last season in a very defensive in what everyone accepts is a very defensive side. This is and, and people talk about his attitude as well and it's this is a player who's gone back into central defense for United when needed, who has sacrificed himself for the team, who the, the man who started the comeback against City in the 3-2 win that stopped them winning the title, pulled the team with him. It's like yes there have been some some questionable moments in Pogba's United career in terms of attitude and yes he could probably he he could try harder on the pitch or not necessarily try harder but react better when he loses a ball but the idea that he's got this terrible attitude when playing on the pitch yeah it's his fault yes he could be better yes he should be playing better but it is a massive failure of Mourinho's management that that he thinks we play better without Paul Popper this kind of sensationally good midfielder who is clearly not playing up to the standard
1: yeah I think the the fact that Mourinho dropping Pogba has happened now and is happening or seems to be happening over like a string of games and not just one game it doesn't show to me that oh Mourinho's done so well making the team work without Pogba the point is if you have a player that is so clearly better than everyone else on your team when I don't think anyone would argue that Pogba isn't our best at least not our best outfield player the the point isn't to make the team work when he's not when he's not in it. The point is to build the team around him, and and it seems like we kind of we're going about it the the wrong way. And the whole the whole Pogba attitude narrative, I think, is just I think it's a very lazy narrative that is a pretty bad indictment of British press and British football fans in general. That it it seems to me that whenever there's a any kind of uh, any kind of player who relies a lot on flair, is very expressive. And the way that they dress and the way they look and everything like that. So as soon as as soon as their their form drops or as, as soon as they have a couple of bad games, it's all about their attitude. And the fact that Pogba's black probably doesn't help that either. Um, without wanting to go into everything that Raheem Sterling has been talking about in the last few days, where I think he's spot on, but all everything I think comes together in Pogba and it creates this narrative that he has a bad attitude. And really, other than a few mini tantrums on the pitch, which is probably the most that we've ever seen from Pogba. There there isn't really anything to say that he does have a bad attitude. Well look, everyone says he's gone.
2: He sat on the bench for the last couple of games. A new sub against Southampton. Did he say anything? Not really. Did he show some massive tantrum on the bench? No. He's been taken he's been subbed off after fifty, sixty minutes in games and just walked off and sat on the bench, not done yeah. the kind of Alexis Sanchez thing where he throws a bib down or we've seen Sergio Aguera do that, Wayne Rooney do that. He's I mean talk about being lazy on the pitch before he was dropped i think he'd covered more distance than any other united player this season he, he is the he's the midfield general in that side he, he also has to clean up for nemanja matić who's somehow still in the side
1: yeah no it is it's just a it's just a lazy narrative it doesn't have any actual basis and it is just i think built on the fact that he's a he is a flair player he has extravagant haircuts he dresses extravagantly and he's not in great form and you put those things together and to the British press and a lot of British football fans, he has he, that, that means he has a bad attitude. He
2: also came back from the World Cup early about oh, having had about two days rest celebrating winning the World Cup with France to play in the first game of the season for United. When I think yeah. even Mourinho said he was at 60% fitness or something. And, and Paul Popper does have to play better. And the solution is, I think, to make him play simpler. Because that's when he's at his very best, doing the basic things to a standard that no other United player can match. Because... I love and I know we both love some of the kind of amazing flairy stuff he does. The, the five touch of his with both feet, shoulder, head, knee, whatever to take it over and around the player in the centre circle. He's done that a few times. I, I remember against Anderlecht, really kind of poignant in my memory. But if he cut them out, perhaps we might see an even better pull popper, maybe slightly less entertaining at times. But mm-hmm. if he does those simple things perfectly, I think we would see something. And, and it feels to me like... No one is there trying to improve Paul Pogba as a player. You never really hear things about how Pogba can get better. It's just he needs to get yeah, better.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I, like I think it's important that we don't we don't just talk about how you know how great Pogba can be and everything like that because as you said he ha- he has been poor. He has been poor about if for the last at least two months I would say he's been poor. There have been a couple of performances this season where he's played really well but he has been generally pretty poor and he we can't get away from that he does need to improve and i said uh when was it it might have been last last week that you know i'm not necessarily against pogba getting dropped but i'm against pogba getting dropped for sort of i, I guess conditions or criteria that seem different to everyone else the the matic example is or oh, the matic comparison is the perfect example really why what has pogba done worse than matic to warrant him getting dropped and matic to, to start every game Nothing. Yeah. It's just that there seems to be a different criteria for both of them. I think if if Matic had been dropped a couple of months ago, I would have no problem with Pogba being dropped for a couple of games because his form hasn't been good enough. And if that is that's the, the the line that Mourinho draws, that's fine. But draw that line for everyone and not not different lines for different players. Yeah,
2: right. We must move on, but very quickly, Diego Dallo a good game after he had been criticised against. Yeah, it was
1: great. Um, probably his best performance in a the, in the United shirt. I really like Dallo. I think he's he's started his United you know, career really well. Had some really good performances. Um, was it in the Champions League? I think early in the season, uh, he struggled a lot against yeah. Arsenal. I spoke about that in the last episode. I think he really struggled down that right flank. But like I said in that game, I'm not I'm not too worried about his about his progress because he's going to have games like that. He's still a young player, and he bounced back from it. And I think that is the sign of a of a someone who's very strong mentally and able to come back from probably their worst performance in the United shirt to, to be man. I think Sky Sports voted man in the match after the game in their match report. So that kind of shows you the kind of performance that he put in on the back of a really, really tough night against Arsenal. And that's a great sign moving forward.
2: It was a fantastic week for Manchester United's youth sides. The result for the under-18s in the under-18 Premier League Cup was a highlight. Neil Ryan's Reds beat Chelsea 3-0. This is the Chelsea side who are under-18 Premier League and Premier League Cup and FA Youth Cup champions. United's first-half performance was sensationally good as they netted three before the break. Damani Mellor opened the scoring after 11 minutes for United, snatching on a loose ball sent back to the Chelsea goalkeeper from the Blues defence, and Mellor finished well. Dishon Bernard doubled the lead soon after, with a slightly fortunate header from a cross-free kick. His effort at goal hit off Mason Greenwood in front of him and looped into the bottom far right corner. It was Greenwood who set up Brandon Williams for the third goal. Dylan Levitt played a superb ball through to Greenwood on the left flank and the young English striker held the ball up for Brandon Williams who took a touch and finished for the third in the first half. United weren't quite so good in the second half but held their lead and clean sheet to progress in the Under-18 Premier League Cup in a fantastic result. The two sides face off again in the FA Youth Cup third round on December 17th. Chelsea have won the competition for the last five consecutive years. The under 19s will be managed in midweek by Nicky Butt in their final UEFA Youth League game away at Valencia. They're already through to the knockout stages, just like the first team. 15-year-old defender Will Fish and 14-year-old Shola Shortire have both been added to the squad for the UEFA Youth League. At under-23 level, United beat Middlesbrough 2-0 thanks to goals from Zach Durnley and Ethan Hamilton. Durnley scored within the first 15 minutes for United, nutmegging the goalkeeper after running onto a great ball from Aidan Barlow and Ethan Hamilton scored from long range just after half-time with a deflected long shot. In low news, Axel Twanzeber played the full game for Aston Villa in a 2-2 draw against West Brom. Dean Henderson kept a clean sheet for Sheffield United against Reading in a 2-0 win. The Blades are third in the Championship. Henderson recently made a couple of mistakes for Sheffield United, conceding at his near post against Brentford before a massive blunder against Leeds. But he still got the support of the fans after coming out and showing his exemplary attitude by apologising and facing up to the criticism. He's still seen as one of the best signings at the club in the last couple of years and they'd love to bring him in permanently but probably can't afford him unless they're promoted to the Premier League. Timothy fossi Mensa wasn't allowed to play for Fulham because they played United and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson played for Scunthorpe in a 2-0 loss against Gillingham. Joel Pereira was only on the bench for Vitoria Setubal against Benfica. The goalkeeper's made eight appearances for Vitoria in the Portuguese league this season keeping two clean sheets. He's now been dropped though and it could stay like that according to Portuguese newspaper Abola. James Wilson came on as a sub for Aberdeen, and Matty Willock did the same for St Mirren in the Scottish Premiership. Casey Stoney's Man United women's team suffered their first league defeat of the season in a 3 1 loss against Durham. It was a massively shocking result, although United remained top of the table. That's your youth loan and Manchester United women's roundup this week from the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Now, it's a Champions League game without much riding on it. Manchester United already qualified after a slightly fortunate win against Young Boys in the fifth group stage game. But we finished things off already qualified against Valencia, who uh, we've already played to uh, little excitement in the first game. And we are joined by Ruben Pinder, English Valencia fan, I think is appropriate. Also a Crystal Palace fan and a football writer at joe.co.uk. Ruben, what kind of season has it been for Valencia so far?
0: been a difficult one um, quite underwhelming for Valencia this season uh, given how well they did last season um, after a few turbulent years um, with you know they went through so many managers they finally got the right coach um, in Marcelino they found the right system they got the dead wood out it it was all set out to be a great season and yet they are 14th and they've only won three games uh, in the league this season with nine draws Um, so Something's not quite right for them this season. Um, hence why, you know, they're struggling in front of goal a bit. Their top goal scorer at the moment is Santi Mina with four and he's only recently come back from an injury. Um, but they do have quality. Um they just sort of need to start clicking again. Um it's been yeah, it's been very frustrating for them this year.
2: Three wins all season. I I guess that means their current form or at least the last four or five games or so haven't been great either.
0: No, indeed. They beat um Ebro in the Copa del Rey, only one nil. Um they snatched a draw against Sevilla at uh, the weekend, but um their yeah, their recent form's not been great. They did get three wins on the bounce, um, two of their league wins coming uh in mid November uh, against Catafé and Rayo Vallecano, but this is the thing, they're only really beating teams comfortably, um, worse than them in terms of, you know, quality in the squad. So, against tough teams this season, they've not done particularly well. They've got a draw against Barcelona at home, um, which is their best result of the season. Um, but, yeah, they're not really firing on all cylinders, hence why they're in the bottom half, you know, they're below the likes of Abar and, um, you know, Valadolid, teams like that. So, yeah, it's not going too well for them.
2: And you say the the manager Marcelino is a relatively big name and and there were a lot of headlines about how well he was doing at the back end of last season with Valencia and kind of a a club that was stagnating. But who are the, 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 in in what seems to be a struggling Valencia side, who are the players that could cause United some kind of trouble?
0: Well, in front of goal, Santi Mina, as I said, has been um, very efficient since he's come back from injury. He's got four goals, um, 182 minutes a goal. I guess that's one every two games. Um, but it really depends on who they play up front because they've got Santi Mina Bacuayi Gamero and Rodrigo Moreno, who's um, got one goal and two assists this season but Rodrigo's been playing a lot more of a supporting role almost like a number 10 He he's the, one of the two strikers who drops in and, and links up play um, and you know he's been getting into the Spain squad so he's playing well but not scoring. Of course, there is uh, Gonzalo Guedes, who um, signed permanently from PSG in the summer after spending last season on loan at Valencia. Um, he's very dangerous on the left wing. Um, he caused United a few problems at Old Trafford, but never seemed to make the right decision when it finally came to to playing that killer pass or taking the shot on. Um, so Delot or Valencia, or whoever plays it right back for United, might have quite a handful from from Guedes um, of course Parejo uh, the central midfielder he's uh, one of my favourite Valencia players he's just so complete great passer um, can dribble with the ball as well him and Pintopia have created quite a formidable partnership so Matic and whoever Mourinho decides to field next to him um, will have quite a battle in the middle
2: and Valencia have very I mean they cannot qualify from the group stage Juventus and United are already definitely going through and there's only the small matter of well, it's not a small matter, but it seems very unlikely that United will be able to top the group because Juventus play young boys and should deal with them very easily. But nothing riding on this game for Valencia. They they cannot go through. Obviously, finishing third means they go into the Europa League. Because of their recent league struggles, do you think they will still put out a
0: full-strength team against United? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it might not be full-strength. We might see players like Coughlin, um playing midfield and maybe Pacini will come back in at right-back. Um where Daniel Vass has been playing, the Danish central midfielder who they signed from Celta Vigo. he They've sort of had to find a place for him and the team. So having lost Montoya, they've put him at right back. So we might see a little bit of rotation. I think maybe Gamero might start. Cherishev might get a game, but it will still be relatively strong. I don't think going into the Europa League will be necessarily a good thing for Valencia. Um, There'll be better teams in the competition, you know, the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal and... Um, given their league form, the last thing they need is to play a load of Thursday games in Eastern Europe. So um, it's not looking too good for Valencia. I mean, maybe, uh, I mean, young boys can't catch them, can they? So no. Valencia, yeah, they're destined for the Europa League. So it that will cause Marcelino a headache. They might have to spend some money in January. Um, but yeah, as you said, United could still feasibly... I mean, not feasibly, technically they can still top <laughs> the group, but I I can't see it happening, really.
2: Yeah, and prediction for, for the game?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll go score draw, maybe 1-1, I think, um, Santi Mina and uh, Matter with the goals. Nice, Mata back at his old stomping grounds. Yeah. And
2: actually, just the final words mm. on uh, Andreas Pereira, who was at Valencia on loan last season and, and did well and kind of impressed some people, had a few kind of dodgy periods where his form wasn't so good, but generally came out of that having impressed quite a lot of people, did well in pre-season for United, and yet uh, there's, a, there's a surprise that he may play against Valencia given how little he's played all season. Do you think, obviously you can watch United from afar as well, what do you think of Pereira's situation at United having had a decent time at
0: Valencia? It's a strange one, isn't it? Because um, he started the first game of the season for United didn't he, against Leicester, Playing in a um, like a deep line playmaker role and then sort of hasn't been mm. seen a lot since. Um, but it's it's a strange one because at Valencia he was normally playing on the right of a midfield four. It was sort of like a very Simeone esque uh, compact four four two that Martino plays. So he wouldn't be playing the same role at United, but he definitely showed that he can play, you know, for a good team at a high level and and impress. You know, technically he's very gifted. So I mean. There are, you know, a multitude of problems at United this season. Mourinho's made some very strange decisions with team selection. But um I would like to see him get more game time and really kick on because he showed last season that at the Mustaya that, you know, he's got talent.
2: Brilliant. Thank you very much for talking to us, Ruben. And uh where can we find you on Twitter?
0: Cheers. Uh, at Ruben Tinder, that's R E U B E N. And uh follow football joe to see all of my great content. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course, always recommended.
0: Now, Ruben
2: Pinder has predicted a, a 1-1 draw for United Valencia, away at the Mestalla. Uh A Valencia side in, as Ruben explained, uh, terrible form. Well, not terrible form, but they are having a, a woeful season. I think they sit 15th in La Liga, three wins all season in the league. Um, only managed a 1-0 win against, a, I think, a Segunda division side uh, in the Copa del Rey recently. Um, Jack, it's, it's it's very much a, a nothing game because we need young boys to to beat Juventus in this not feasible as as, as Ruben said. Uh, United on 10 points, Juventus on 12, Valencia on 5 so United and Juventus qualified and it pretty much means nothing. We need to win if we are to top the group but Juventus aren't going to lose to young boys so pretty much a nothing game. Valencia will finish third, whatever happens so a nothing game for them as well. It, it, I can't quite see the most exciting game at the Mestaya Jack.
1: No, neither can I. Um, both teams with not a huge amount riding on it. It seems like the group is pretty much set at this point. So, I mean, the the one thing you do hope is that at least both teams get up for it. The Mustaya can be a great place to play um, if if it was sort of a more meaningful game. Well, you can do a prediction in a second,
2: but what what do we need to see to be satisfied by the game? Because, yes, a win, but as in we could get like a boring 1-0 win, and I think people... I mean, can- I
1: think I'd, I I want to see some things from from the weekend be carried on. You know, we looked like we, we were much more structured in the way that we went, went went forward against Fulham, whether that was just because Fulham were so bad defensively that there was so much space open to us. But, you know, just little things like that corner routine that led to Lukaku's goal, things like that are just much much more positive signs for us that we are actually working on some stuff in training. We are a little bit more cohesive going forward. We do have a bit more of a structure. And I think that that is what I want. I want to just see that kind of continued to to move forward so that we can then take it into the Liverpool game
2: yeah and we spoke about Popper about ten minutes ago and he's set to start along possibly alongside Andreas Pereira. A good performance from both of them would be brilliant, particularly Popper because he's more important to the side, but also andreas Pereira because he's been pretty unfairly treated um
1: yeah he was very unlucky to to be kind of sidelined as much as he has he's kind of he wasn't that bad
2: he's been kind of cast away after a good preseason and then yeah. played the first game in the season, and for some reason was dropped into well, it was the after abyss. the
1: Brighton game wasn't it when uh, I think that was I think that was when he got dropped anyway after the Brighton game when yeah. really nothing in that game was particularly his fault <laughs> and he definitely should have been given another chance since then
2: yeah classic marino to be honest anyway prediction for the game
1: um 0-0
2: okay you've got 0-0 ruben has gone 1-1 <laughs> uh i'll go I, I'm going to side with one of you I think he's a draw but I'm not sure yeah I'm going to go with Ruben and say 1-1 one, one. score draw um, now we've we asked you for a couple of questions you don't
1: think questions. I'm an, enough of an expert on Valencia no <laughs> no
2: <laughs> not quite I don't think either of us are but we are an expert on Mourinho board draws in Europe with the United so um, <laughs> anyway we we got sent a couple of questions this week one from uh, at Fallin Laughing who said 6 of Saturday's starting 11 have contracts that expire in 2019 so the end of the season. While some are dead weight that should have been gone long ago, others are far more important: Martial, Pereira, Mata, De Gea, etc. Do we have a looming squad crisis? Is this Jose's way of cleaning the house? Um, there are, there's a lot of dead wood at United, and these are not the players who are it. And I think the problem is at United that uh, the board and the people in charge of transfers. I've I've read this from Andy Mitton a few times and, and a few other journalists. The boards are concerned about losing players for free and don't see it as a viable option. And so they trigger these one-year contract extensions in pretty much everyone's contract, whether they deserve it or not, in the hope that they will get a transfer fee, a transfer fee for them. Now, you're not going to get a transfer fee for Ashley Young or Antonio Valencia. The fee you're going to get for Phil Jones, if anything, because I can't see who would, who would see him as a, a good option for them because yeah. mid-table sides will probably think they can't afford him, so they won't even bother looking at him. And the top clubs obviously don't want Phil Jones because...
1: Well, and you'd, you'd say no one would be desperate enough for him that they wouldn't just wait to see if he made it to, to be a free agent when they could get him for
0: free.
2: Yeah, so I think the problem is we're we're triggering these extensions or giving new contracts to these players that we want to sell when we should just... I mean, I don't want to sound like David Moyes and say we aspire to be like Manchester City, but we, <laughs> we should just let them go like City did with players like, like Zabaleta and a few others. Just yeah. So it's yeah. I I think it's it's not a looming squad crisis. It could be the the moody United about three weeks ago. If you'd asked this question then, very possibly you could see it as a looming squad crisis because if Mourinho stays and certain reports are correct that players like De Gea, Martial and Pogba don't want to stay if Mourinho stays then yes, very possibly there could be a squad crisis
1: Yeah, I I think there's a a pretty big possibility in in my honest opinion that there could be a a squad crisis coming at the end of the season because why would players like Pogba De Gea Martial want to stay at United if they can't get some sort of guarantee that either the manager's going to go or the manager's philosophy or... You know, ideas are going to change a little bit. You look at the likes, especially of people like De Gea and Pogba, people at the top of the game in their respective positions and their their primes are effectively being wasted to to some degree at United. And I don't blame them for potentially wanting one, in, one in out. I mean, in terms of the contract situation specifically, it just goes to show yet again how poorly United is run in in so many ways. And the fact that we've let six six of the star eleven at the weekend. I think we have over ten over ten players. I think on um, contracts expire at the end of the season is just yet again a lack of forward thinking on the part of the club. It's just kind of lurching from one year to another with no no foresight about what they want to do. Because realistically, by now you should have already known who out of these players who have a year left on their contract are players that you want to keep long term. You should have already sewn up their contracts, and you should already know yeah. the players that you aren't going to extend. And and we shouldn't really be, be even questioning who whether they're gonna get a contract extension or not. Um
2: Yeah, it hardly gives it hardly provides me with confidence that the Mourinho long term project at United has a plan. Yeah. Because if if we don't even know which of our own players are gonna stay and we we don't know who we're gonna sign, then we pretty much don't know who our team's yeah. gonna be next year or who our well, manager is. And the other, the other be.
1: problem with the contract situation as well, is that so many of these sort of older players who have been around at United for a long time have seen the precedent that we set with Fellaini last year. The fact that we let him kind of just string the club along, effectively waiting for an offer, and then they gave him a massive, massive offer to stay, means that a lot of these players are going to do the same instead of being willing to accept the fact that they they might not get re-signed and try and find the club elsewhere.
2: And that's when you say, goodbye Phil Jones, goodbye Antonio Valencia. (laughs) Thank you very much for your seven years of... I'll bring up that agriteness. quote
1: when we're in... Uh, we're in eight, le- the end of August ne- next year and uh, Phil Jones and Valencia are still starting in our back four on double the wages they're earning now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got one other question from Ike, I think is how it's pronounced, possibly EK, who uh, said, what if what's happening at Manchester United is all a social experiment? If so, what is the name of the social experiment and what is the study about? Now... <laughs> I wanted to say this question because I don't want to leave any questions kind of unsaid. I I have no idea how to answer this. If it is all a social experiment, I would be very surprised. But kind of playing along with this dystopian ideal, um, if it's a social... I mean, what is this social experiment at United a study about? I don't quite know how a a set of arrogant... I think forced arrogant because we support United fans respond to uh, derision and failure I don't know I have no idea or how or what happens when um, a set of fans who see themselves as loyal and whatever respond to failure on the pitch I don't know it's an interesting question that's kind of should be answered by a psychologist or someone who studied philosophy rather than us two to be honest
1: I'm actually gonna I'm gonna steal one of your own titles, Harry, from our from a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Just call it the Mediocrity Project, because <laughs> oh, yeah. that's pretty much pretty much what it is. Um, if it was going to be some kind of social experiment, I guess yeah. If you look at it from the perspective of uh, of the fans' reactions, it would probably be like a test of loyalty or um, a test of dedication, maybe to uh, to to a football club or an institution, even when it's not if it, not performing if, how you expect.
2: If it is a social experiment, then I would like to pin the bastard who is doing this experiment to us up against the wall and see him off. Um, <laughs> because if, if we're being put through this for the in the name of a social experiment by aliens, then I'll be very angry with the, the people responsible. But on that... In
1: fact, maybe maybe the, the social experiment is actually how angry it takes a person to become before they throw a crate of water bottles on them. <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah, it's a real...
1: So maybe the the reason why we we beat Fulham so convincingly is because the social experiment has ended now. Yeah. They've already found the answer.
2: Studying Jose Mourinho, you could do that for for centuries. Anyway, (laughs) on this weird note to end the Manchester United Ridley podcast. That is all we have time for on this episode. Thank you as always for listening wherever you are. If you've enjoyed this on the the tram, the tube, the plane, the train or in the car, your kitchen or wherever, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people to find the podcast, which is always a good thing for us. Or just share the podcast on Twitter. That's helpful as well. Talking off Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at, at Harry Robinson64. For more from Jack throughout the week, his Twitter is
1: at at UTD T A I T. And the podcast
2: itself is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Cheers for listening. We'll be back soon to preview the Liverpool game after the midweek Valencia Champions League game. Until then, have a great week.
1: Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.